We'll have two readings today, and we'll begin with a selection of Proverbs. A righteous man is cautious in friendship, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. He who covers over an offense promotes love, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find? Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, where you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. Like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father, and do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. We'll continue in John 15, verses 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is God's word. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, you are rich and you are generous and you provide for your people. We do want to thank and praise you for us as a church that uh, it looks like you will provide in order that we can hit our budget this year. And that's a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing. When we had such a shortfall that you would raise up generosity in the hearts of people in order to provide. We thank and praise you. Personally, we can thank you for your provision. But now as we turn to your word, we're reminded that it is of greater value than all the silver or gold. 
30 minutes spent in your word is worth millions of pounds because your word changes our lives in a way money cannot. It focuses us upon Christ in a way that money cannot. It lifts us when we're low. It humbles us when we're proud. So thank you for the priceless treasure of your word. Would you speak it by your spirit to our hearts now we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This then is our penultimate week um, in the book of Proverbs for the time being. We'll come back uh, in August. And um, if you have been with us, you'll know essentially back in January and February, we uh, worked our way through chapters 1 to 9 and saw that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It is the essential launch pad for wise living because it it moves us on uh, just from rule keeping or adhering to legislation to transforming us. The fear of the Lord changes us from within, enters our hearts. So we become wise people rather than just externally having wise legislation. And and then since, well, we had a break, but in the last month or so, we've been looking at some of uh, the big topics that come up uh, frequently in the book, anger and uh, words and money and uh, the like. Next week, uh, uh, making plans uh, for the future. But today we look at friendship. And of course, in one sense, it's so familiar to us, friendship, the concept, the idea, that we can easily overlook quite how wonderful it is. I wonder, it strikes me, uh, a friendship is in one sense a little bit like water, just essential for our well-being. But it's around us so much that we just assume it's always there, can take it for granted. And when it's not there, well, it's very unpleasant. We dry up a little bit. Very important. And yet, of course, in one sense, well, of course, friends are encouraged, but there's also another sense, I wonder if, uh, culturally, friendship has got a little bit devalued with the emphasis upon the one. You must find the one. Romance is everything, and friendship is a bit of a backdrop for that. Uh, I'm no statistician, but if you looked at Hollywood's output, the amount of rom-com in relation to buddy-buddy movies is probably not very high, and there's a few, but there aren't many films which purely celebrate friendship. I mean, for men in particular, I guess, you've got war films, but that's mainly because there aren't many women on the screen, so they have to sort of talk to one another, they've got no choice. (laughs) But beyond that, beyond that, they're slightly few and far between, but when they come and they're done well, of course, they're magnificent. So always near the top, Three of anyone's favourite film is the Shawshank Redemption, which is essentially, I guess, a film about the friendship between Andy and Red. And look, I don't care how masculine or male you are, you know, to not feel a little bit of a well up, you know, when Red eventually gets out of prison after 40 years and he's almost suicidal, but he goes and finds the box and then he goes and sees Andy Dufresne. And, um, you know, they see one another on the beach, they run, they embrace, and, you know, it was a good film, wasn't it? You know, it moves us. You know, friendship is good. We know that. We know that. Perhaps we need reminding. So three things, then, we're going to look at from the book of Proverbs. It seems to me realism in friendship, uh, qualities, and then the resources. Three little things. Realism, the qualities of friendship, and then the resources for friendship. Okay, let's have a look at them. As I admit every week with these things, essentially, as you can see, it's really a sort of 10-point sermon, but I'm trying to pretend it's not. 
Okay, first then, the impact. Realism in friendship, rather. Let's look at the impact of the number. Realism. If, don't, be, don't be naive, says the book of Proverbs. Who we spend time with affects us. We know that. So I read that David Beckham has come back from the United States. Before he went to the LA Galaxy, he used to drop his H's 80% of the time, now 20% of the time. Hoorah uh, for the American influence upon his accent. Of course, we were influenced by those we spend time with. And so chapter 12, verse 26. Uh, no, let's go 1320, first of all. He who walks with the wise grows wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. Or 22, 24. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered. Or you may learn his ways and get ensnared. Of course, you've got to be realistic. Sometimes you have limited choice with those you walk with. So in your workplace, you may have to walk on a daily basis with lots of very angry people. It's an sort of angry office environment. Demand, demand, demand. And you just got to be realistic. I think the book would say they have an impact. Don't be naive and make sure you seek out friends who are different to them. Don't spend your leisure time with angry people as well. Don't be naive on that. It'll have an impact. Of course, the positive as well as negative. Uh, surprisingly, I get to go to lots of weddings. It's a great delight as a, as a pastor or minister. The One of the nicest comments, certainly in a speech at a wedding last year, was, uh, was from the best man's speech. And he said lots of wonderful things, but uh, had this choice sentence in there. Thank you for having me as your best man today. But thank you that your friendship has made me a better man over the years. That's a great, you know, that's a great soundbite. He's done well right there. But also how wonderfully wonderful that he'd stand up and say, knowing you, the friendship with you has made me better. And friends can do that, of course. So don't be naive, says the book, if your good friends are lovers of money, so you will be. If your close friends are always obsessing and anxious about child's development, then so will you be. If you have friends who love Christ, then so will you. They have an impact upon you, the friendships you have. Don't be naive. And so chapter 12, verse 26, a righteous man is cautious in friendship. The way the wicked leads them astray. It's the sort of comment you'd say to a child. I'm not sure they're a helpful influence upon you. Or, hmm, he's a good person to become friends with. Off you go. Of course, we say that to children. And Proverbs would say, well, do ask those questions of yourself, won't you? Are the people I'm spending time with, what impact are they having on me? Some I have no choice, some I do. Don't be naive. There's an obvious impact. Second element of realism would be the number, the number of friends you can actually have. So chapter 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong, inherently wrong with having lots of acquaintances. That's a nice thing. It's a good thing to know lots of people. But this proverb makes the one point, when tough times come, they're not all be there. Not because acquaintances are unkind or uncaring. They just don't know you well enough. So you can have a scenario, I don't know, at work or, or at church. Mary. After a while you think, hmm, haven't seen Mary for a few weeks. Anyone seen Mary? No. Oh, I wonder where she is. Huh. And then next month you find out, actually, Mary had a severe accident. It's been in hospital, but no one knew her well enough. 
for her to contact to have that sort of information. That's what the point is made. It's not unkind or uncaring, but just acquaintances just don't have the same depth of knowledge as a friend will have. You've got to be realistic on that. There is a great danger, we all know this, I hope, there's a great danger of social networking. You can have hundreds, thousands of friends with whom you are connected and whose photos they like of yours. But who cares? You can have all these friends, but have no friends. Real friends. And some of us you know, need to get out of cyberspace and spend more time face-to-face. It's just simple. You just, that's the way friendships really grow. We can spread ourselves over a mass of people and have no depth with anyone. And that's a tragic place to be. So all sorts of acquaintances are good, but the book of Proverbs would say quality is more important than quantity. That is key. Last week I was at a minister's conference, uh, which was slightly variable uh, events, to be honest. But um, I got talking to one guy late, and um, we started, started talking about this, and friends, and you know who gets in contact regularly, and with a very wistful look in his eye, this guy in his late 40s said, I spent the last 20 years bringing up a family and looking after the church family, and I don't think I have any friends. And, you know, another drink. Um, but it's a bit, you know, I think, no, you, it's easy to get into that sort of scenario because... There are no deadlines for friendships like there is at work. There's always a deadline at work that you have to hit. There's no deadline for a friendship. Friends often aren't quite as demanding as family members can be. And so it's easy to have friendship at the bottom of the to-do list because you just get round to it when you've got a bit of time. You never have time. So you never get round to it. So you don't have any of depth. C.S. Lewis observed, friendship has no intrinsic survival value. But it is one of the things that gives value to survival. That's a shrewd observation, isn't it? Friendship has no survival value. But it is one of the things that gives value to survival. In that sense, it's like art or music. They're not utilitarian things. But golly, they make life worth living. Let's be realistic about that and how number. You need to invest in a few people. So there's some comments of realism. Qualities then. Let's look at four qualities of friendship. Constancy, candor, counsel, tact. I put my hands up. These are Derek Kidner's. They come from his super little commentary. I think it's a terrific summary of what the book says. Constancy, uh, first of all, is a quality of friendship. So chapter 17, verse 17. A friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. Now, it's slightly unclear grammatically in the Hebrew whether you translate a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity or but. I don't think it matters too much. Even if you go with this NIV translation, we can recognize the truth in that. Adversity comes, you fall sick, you go to hospital, your family rally round. They're there. Blood is good at that in adversity. But your friends, well, they'll be there as well. And actually, in the normal scheme of life, when things aren't disasters, it's just normal life bubbles on, you talk more honestly, openly, perhaps, with friends than you would do with family. I think that's his point. Or chapter 20, verse 6. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. Loyal friends are rare. 
If you find one, don't let them go. The fool views friendships as stepping stones to the next thing. That's a useful friendship, and now this is a useful friendship. And if you find a loyal friend, hold on to them. Because there aren't huge numbers that come along in your lifetime such as that. Uh, another rarity, another sort of rarity of a film that really celebrates male friendship. I wasn't really expecting this. I don't know why we watched it. It must have been my choice. But we watched at home fairly recently, The Damned United. Uh, so the, the story of Brian Clough and Peter Taylor and how uh, they managed Derby County Football Club. It's a very sort of British film. Uh, if you married Derby County Football Club and then went to Leeds United and it was disastrous. Well, Brian Clough went to Leeds United. Peter Taylor didn't. They fell out. It's a true story. They fell out and it all went disastrously wrong. Uh, but essentially, it is a story of a male friendship. And Brian Clough thought, stuff you, I don't need you. I don't need you, Peter Taylor. I can be successful on my own, only he couldn't. And I don't, it's true, so I don't think I'm spoiling a film. You should know this from your football history. Uh, but at the end of the film, they get back together. And in the 1970s, it's, you know, but these guys are married with families and children. There's no hint of uh, anything sexual about it. But at the end, this very gruff northern man, they, they embrace one another with a big, I really love you, and uh, really go for it. Because they realize, actually, there's a friendship here that is, well, they've got, they can't get anywhere else to let that go. How foolish, how foolish you hang on to them. You find a loyal friend, hold on to them. And I think that's the same point in chapter 27, verse 10. Do not forsake your friend and the friend of your father. And do not go to your brother's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbor nearby than a brother far away. If you have a tried and trusted family member, this friendship has lasted two generations. Is your friend your father's friend? You've got a tried and tested friend. Just rely on them. You, you, Trust those friends. They've demonstrated it. Hold on to the constant friends. Of course, by contrast, you get chapter 25, verse 19. Like a bad tooth or a lame foot is reliance on the unfaithful in times of trouble. Ouch. Ouch. It hurts. Fair-weather friends are painful. They will cause you pain. I remember... Uh, Years ago now, but uh, where Kerry, my wife, was in hospital, for, it was about three months in total in the end, and uh, one good friend of hers rang up me and said, oh, you know, she's in hospital, uh, what can I do? Tell me anything I can do, you can visit. Oh, well, I can't do that, um, uh, because we've got plenty on. But, you know, I've got to look after the children. You have a full-time nanny. Yeah, but, I, you know, it's quite a way away. It's 45 minutes. I'm afraid it's just too much. Okay. Can I say, I didn't say this, but in my own head I'm thinking, okay, can I just say in a final sense, goodbye, that's it. Really? Really? Ah, it's very painful. It hurts. But adversity often reveals who our friends are. So Proverbs would say, look, uh, friendships, they'll begin organically. That's normal and natural. We find we have something in common, a sense of humor, a certain activity. We love stamp collecting, whatever it may be. And so we draw alongside and say, oh, you've got this in common. You've got, we've got this in common. You chat about it. And that's normal and natural to have organic friendships. 
There's nothing as awkward as someone who comes along to you and says, I don't know you, but will you be my friend? When you've got nothing in common, that's just horrible. It's just awkward and, and painful. So friendships begin in an organic sense, but they need more than that going forward. They need constancy that finds expression in serving one another in being there. If you can have a proper friendship. So constancy is the first, perhaps the most common uh, quality. Uh, second would be a candor. Candor is another quality of friendship. So chapter 27, verse 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. And of course that's topsy-turvy, isn't it? Instinctively, we want to, in our own minds, we rearrange it. So uh, uh, wounds from an enemy hurt and a friend multiplies kisses. But of course, it doesn't say that. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. An enemy multiplies kisses. Friends, good friends, will tell us honestly. There are moments when we just need to hear something said. And, um, you know, most of us can probably remember a key moment of truth where someone said, you know what? I caught up with a friend last week, uh, and um, it just reminded me seeing him. There was a moment, I mean, it was 20 years ago now, uh, so quite a time, and uh, he had something he needed to say to me. So he came with that magnificent introduction when you know things are going to go badly. Matt, do you mind if I say something to you? Yeah, that's terrible, isn't it? You just know, you know that something awful is going to come next. That's not going to be encouraging. Do you mind if I say something to you? No, go on, off you go. He said, he was, he's 10 years older than me. He said, um, and you've become a Christian fairly recently uh, in the last two years, and you have a magnificent zeal for the truth. It is a wonderful thing to see. You care deeply about what is true and what is not. Never lose that. Now, if you could just combine that with a love for people, you'd be useful instead of obnoxious. <laughs> ooh. Ooh. Uh, he said it with a big smile, but that's still a wound, isn't it? Let's be honest. Um, but I've never forgotten that. Yeah, I mean, that, that was so... Why don't you just go away and think about that? Okay. And you go away and think, oh, that's true. That's true. I, I needed to hear that. No one else has bothered to tell me that. Because friends will make the effort to do that, whereas your enemies, as it says here, uh, enemies will multiply kisses. Do you mind if I just run some things through? This is how I'm going to answer the questions in an interview. Yeah, 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 those would be good answers, loser. And they don't care, they don't care enough for you to tell you the truth. 29 verse 5, I think is making much the same point. Whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. But your friends will make sure you walk on safe paths. Now, just a tangent on this, I don't want to caricature, but candor is important. I wonder if men and women do this slightly differently, and that's okay. I may be wrong on this, but I wonder if, um, whereas women will tend to sit down and have sort of conversations and talk these things through, men can just be a bit blunter and say, could I just tell you you're being an idiot and obnoxious? Or they'll just come along and sometimes will just cuff you around the head and say... Oi, blockhead, don't be so rude. You're winding everyone up. And that's okay. I think, I think men do it differently to women a little bit. I'm overstating, but that's okay. 
You don't need to always have intense conversations. You can be blunt and direct. That works too. Constancy, candor. Counsel will be the third. Uh, similar, I guess, but um, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 27, verse 9. Third quality of a friendship is counsel. 27, verse 9. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. Ah, yes. The advice of a good friend is like walking out into a lovely field or a pleasant room. I think of myself, a patisserie. You walk into a patisserie and think, that is terrific. I could eat it all. And, um, ah, wonderful. Wonderful, the counsel of a friend. And yet, at the same time, chapter 27, verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I think that's quite a familiar proverb. You know, it's good to have friends who sharpen you up. Just worth playing with that. It is an image, of course, from the blacksmiths. How does iron sharpen iron? You know, it's, 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 it's men with arms, with biceps like watermelons whacking the thing as hard as they possibly can. And that's a good friend as well. But you need both at different times. Your friends will both encourage you with wise, warm, counsel when you're a bit flat and they'll beat you up when you need beating up they'll do both but you don't want a friend who just does one it's either entirely painful or you know just fluffs you up you want someone who does both who does both so just to plow a little bit deeper chapter 27 verse 9 the um the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel Earnest counsel there is literally counsel of the soul. Why is this friend so pleasant? Because he has listened hard to you, has made sure he understands you, has dwelt upon what you've said, and then counseled you from his soul. I.e. he's put his whole energy, his whole being into helping you. This is not a superficial observation. This is not someone who comes alongside you having a bad week. Well, the sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar it will. And um, you know, just, just neither here nor there. It's not pleasant. When you're understood, and then they know whether to give you warm words of encouragement or beat you up. But it's earnest from the soul. We don't want wounds from self-appointed critics who vent their own opinions on us whether they whether we desire them or not. We want friends who understand us and therefore think about the comments, the advice they give to us, whether to rebuke or to build up perfume, incense. I was reminded, I read, reread uh, last term the um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer book, Life Together. He has this beautiful quote. I wrote down, the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's words to him. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. So sometimes, as a Christian, you're just a bit low, and he's saying, the Christ in your own heart is weaker than the, the Christ that can be spoken to you. Sometimes you need others to come alongside and say, God remains a Father who loves you. Jesus remains a Savior who died for you. The Spirit remains the Counselor who dwells within you. 
You just need to be reminded. And sometimes those things that you know are true, you need a friend to say them to you. The Christ in your own heart is weaker than the Christ in the words of another. You want friends then who do both, who rebuke you, but will comfort you. You want both of them in their counsel. And lastly, very briefly, tact. You want tactful friends. I guess that's taken for granted. So chapter 25, verse 20, like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, like vinegar poured on soda, he's one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Again, there's no attempt to understand what someone needs, and you'll just inflict pain upon them if you don't really understand what they need. Or uh, uh, similarly, chapter 27, 14, if a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. As I said, was this conference this week. Uh, I never sleep brilliantly on the first night away in a new bed. Uh, so I hadn't gone to bed very well. And in the morning, the chap next door to me started singing in the morning hymns very loudly to the Lord. And I'm sure it was a sweet song unto the Lord. But at 5.30 in the morning, it was a curse to me. And I didn't enjoy that. Uh, you know, just be realistic. You be tactful in when and how you say things. And then 17 verse 9, tactful, not in timing, I guess, but in discretion. Chapter 17 verse 9, he who covers over an offense promotes love. Whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. It's just a warning. Friendships will take years to build good ones, and they can be destroyed in one conversation. And it's funny, isn't it? Sometimes you see people who have been very good friends. Something's been said, often about children or child-rearing. Those are the things that really set everyone off. Or another family member. Your mother is a bit, and that's it. And what a waste. Just don't repeat the matter. You have a choice, according to that verse. Forgive or gossip. Forgive. Forgive. And forgiveness, uh, I mean, you know, raised it as a separate point, but of course that is essential in a friendship. You've got to forgive. See, some, some, probably even some here, you can hear, you know, hear talk of the proverbial picture of a friendship, and you think, that's right. Those are the sort of friends I want to have. And you can set up a gold standard of friendship. And if anyone falls slightly short, right, they won't do, and you rip them out of your address book, and they're done with. You can set such a high standard. Listen, every friend you have will let you down. Because they're not perfect. So don't be silly about that. You have to learn to forgive in friendships as well. So there's a quality of French, qualities of friendship. Constantly, constancy, candor, counsel, tact. So we've got to be realistic here. Developing good friendships is hard. Because it requires all of these things. And I don't know, and I'm certainly not legislating. It seems to me you can probably have somewhere between, depending upon your capacity, two to five brilliant friendships all your life that you keep up with for 50 years, 40 years. Two's quite good for some. I mean, some people are very good at keeping up. But you've got to be realistic. You can't have many great friendships that endure. Because to be a great friend is hard work. And then for us as Londoners, you also have to be realistic. The nature of the city centre makes it hard. You can form good friendships with someone, but then after four or five years, they've gone to another city, to another country. And you think, oh, oh, 
Well, there's email we can visit maybe once a year, but... Oh, that's hard. The silly thing at that point is to shut down and say, well, I can't go again. I can't give myself again to a friendship. And it's just worth asking the question, for, for some of us maybe, is the fact we don't have the friendships we desire because we're unwilling to pay the price. There is a price of friendship. It's time. It's being vulnerable. At times saying, help, I need help. Being open. And I wonder for some, we just don't pay the cost. You have to be intentional with these things. I have one friend who uh, only ever rings me up on car journeys, which used to really wind me up. Uh, he travels quite a lot with work, and so he'd be on a car journey, and, you know, hi, hi, well, I'm on this car journey, so I thought I'd give you a ring. Oh, oh, okay, You're, I'm just filling your time, am I? And at first, I used to sort of, that used to really kind of annoy me a little bit. You could just phone me from home when I'm your priority. But at once I was just being, you know, a silly, prissy fool, because he used to phone. He always took the initiative. He kind of kept the friendship on going. You've got to be realistic. You make intentional, deliberate. So how do we do it then? Last little thing then, the, the resources for friendship. Friendship is hard. It's hard work. Uh, it is a great joy. We know that. How do we keep going? How do we be constant, have candor, take time to know the right counsel, to have tact? Well, it helps enormously if you have the friend. I don't know if you're still there, but John chapter 15. If you have the friend, Jesus Christ, that makes all the difference in the world. John chapter 15. Let me just jump into the middle. Chapter 15 and verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. You need to have the friend, Jesus Christ. Oh, but I can't have a drink with him. I can't ring him up when I'm annoyed. He can't come round and watch football with me, knit with me, um, give me a hug, whatever, whatever your thing is. The, um, he can't, no, 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 of course. It is different, but knowing him is transforming. He is the friend. He shows us constancy, candor, counsel. And of course, he shows us cost. He shows us cost. He endures our inconsistency, our inconstancy, our dishonesty, our ingratitude, our rejection. He comes and covers over our offenses with his death upon the cross. He pays the price for our broken friendship to bring us back into friendship with God. So I, you know, I dug out this lovely old hymn of John Newton's. It runs to about 12 verses, but, uh, just these two. Here's Newton and John Newton um, commenting on this. So at the bottom of those sheets. One there is above all others, well deserves the name of friend. His is love beyond a brother's, costly free and knows no end. Could we bear from one another what he daily bears from us? Yet this glorious friend and brother loves us though we treat him thus. Every day he puts up with, endures with our rejection of him in small ways or maybe large ways. 
our inconstancy, our ingratitude, our unwillingness to be in contact. He puts up with all of those. We wouldn't put up with those from anyone. But he does. And has paid for them upon the cross. And knowing that, that does give you the resources to give yourself. I've lost a good friend. They've moved away. We'll be in touch a little bit, but not in the same way. Can I go again? Yeah, when I, when I dwell upon what Christ has done for me, when I dwell upon the fact that today he's gone again for me, despite my half-heartedness in friendship, I'll go again. I'll go again. I can give myself again. Uh, last Sunday night, uh, Andy Mason came and preached uh, here at Christchurch. Someone know Andy Mason. We support his work. Uh, he's a minister on the World's End Estates in Chelsea. Uh, he's been the minister there for a number of years. It's an urban priority area. It's, it's poor. It's unlikely to be a self-financing church. He came and preached here. Andy and I have known one another for uh, well over 20 years. Uh, he's, anyway, he's one of my dear friends. I, I warned him, I'd ask him this. I said, can you tell me, you know, I'm a hopeless friend. You're a very good friend. How has our friendship endured over 20-odd years? Uh, why do we remain close? I didn't know what he'd say. It was interesting. He said, intentionality and spiritual friendship. Better explain those two. Intentionality, you do have to ring one another up. You do have to meet up. For, for seven years, we lived in different countries. You do have to go and visit one another. You have to be deliberate about it with some. You can't be with all. But more important than that, spiritual friendships. He said, because you and I are quite different, actually. But we have this in common, Jesus Christ. We have him in common which means we have the most significant thing in the world to talk about, which means we'll forgive one another when we're idiots and let one another down, which means we'll give ourselves and give our lives for the most exciting mission there is, serving him. You have spiritual friendships. Golly, they make a difference. If you have Jesus Christ at the heart of them, they can run and run. I thought it was quite interesting. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank and praise you that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That when we were alienated and hostile to you, you showed great grace in sending the Lord Jesus Christ to bear judgment upon, uh, against us. So thank you that he has made us his friends. And we pray that we'd be those who can reflect that sort of friendship to one another, being realistic about how many close friends we can have, enjoying acquaintances, what a delight they are, but investing in some with a depth of friendship that is a great joy to us, and we pray will make us better men, better women, for the friendships we have will spur us on to love you. Amen.